we talk a lot about just the power of curiosity and how horses are naturally curious, right? They're exactly. always checking everything out. And when we approach with that curiosity, it's like we're coming at them in their own cultural level or communicating with them the way that they like to communicate. Tying curiosity to intuition, like maybe there's something you literally observe in their body that's visible. As a body worker, I know you can assess and mm -hmm. see things, but then there's a deeper side of intuition, right? Where it's maybe not visible physically. You probably saw or felt something. I just wondered, do you have any thoughts on that? Let's talk about deep intuition. Intuition, whatever is implied by the horse, I apply it to myself in the things I do. If you study how you do things, and you study, you ask yourself, why do I do this? Mm -hmm. And then you look at yourself as a community. I think that's how <laughs> I was raised being Navajo, is that's what we do. Where do we fit? And it's almost in a herd aspect, too, of there's leadership. There are warriors. There are mothers. There are grandmothers. There are... And it's a huge respect in the herd or in the clan system. Mm -hmm. I'm an adult, and if my grandma were to scold me, I would take it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, you know, look at her any differently. I, I was wrong, and she's correcting me. You have that in the herd. And I think when you have that type of environment that you grow up in, the intuition is there because it's put in the community, the expectation of the community. So you look at horses when they're running or even birds when they're flying. One goes like this, they all shh. You know, one horse gets up and looks, everybody's going to get up and look. The intuition is connectivity. <laughs> in the herd or in the in the clan and so like i said we have leaders we have you know the all the way down to the last person who isn't a leader and is scared to get up and talk but their strength is being a servant and that's where they thrive they are just as important as the leaders they are just as important as the warriors they are just as important as each individual in the clan system that creates this ecosystem of survival. So when you look at it and apply it to horses, you have to look at yourself and say, where do I fit in in this relationship? Like if you're lunging a horse or you're working a horse, let's say you're trying to connect to a wild horse, you have them in the corral, or there, or even a tame, a domestic horse that's running around the pasture that won't come to you. If you can get even the slightest movement of like the ear like this, like looking at you, back off. And then turn around and walk away because like, oh, what? What just happened? <laughs> and so curiosity. And then when you get to go, when you start working on this curiosity and building on it, it becomes a lesson of when I come in, I want two eyes. I would love two ears. I would really love for you to come up to me, but we'll work on that. <laughs> and the more and more you do it, the more and more you are in tune with that horse and you learn the slightest movements of different things that you're asking. Because remember, you're learning as well as they, they are learning and you're both learning each other so when you're asking them to do something they're thinking in their mind what's he asking me to do hmm. when the leader when the lead horse or the lead mare comes into the herd all she has to do is kind of trot and pin her ears and because it's learned it's it's environmental it's they've grown up with it they know hmm. if a new horse comes into a herd it has to not only figure out where they stand in the structure of the balance, but what is the 
language? What is the communication that's being said here? <laughs> you know, for each individual horse, and it becomes. Am I answering it? It yeah. becomes. It becomes <laughs> that with you and your horse, and that's where intuition comes in when you start applying it to everything is universal with each horse. Everything applies. Like your horse is like this, this and running. And you're over here and it's looking over here. And the moment it goes, boom, let it go. That the moment that ear goes, walk away. <laughs> because even though it didn't give you its full attention, it gave you something. <laughs> it gave you a little bit that you can step on a little basis that you can now okay i can step up now a little bit hmm. may not be like oh both ears and eyes are looking at me now but it gets to that <laughs> so just figure out where you're at in the in the cultural aspect of where you're at in your herd in your in your community in your clan intuition in in that regard if i'm hearing you right is is connectivity yeah back to the connectivity exactly and you can even broaden that whole thing too with intuition is connectivity when you're riding the horse. Going back to dressage, when you start really feeling things, you get a knack of something and things start becoming intuitive. Hmm. See, if I drop my hip this way a little bit, things will shift. And that's connectivity. And that's mm -hmm. connectivity. And I don't think we, we apply that. Mm -hmm. But also we have, and here's where forgiveness comes back into play, is everything that we do and implement, we have to live. Mm. Because if we live it, then we can execute it within our horses. Because then we become the example that our horses see. And the same thing with dogs, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to model it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Kids are the same way. Yeah. And that's how I, like in the tribal aspect of things, we're modeled or we're raised in, in a model society of what was expected. Mm -hmm. Growing up in the indigenous world, it wasn't really the Navajo tribal thing. But indigenous-wise, like, the suicide races were right. one big thing that was like a mm -hmm. rite of passage. Not necessarily for the Navajo, but mm -hmm. as an Indian, as a Native American yeah. who grew up partly outside the reservation, I didn't really know a lot of Natives and when I was younger. And so that was one thing. I'm like, yeah, Natives are doing that, and I'm a Native, and so that's what I'm going to do. So I went, every time I go, went back to my grandma's place, I'd get a horse and I would start practicing. I'd run down. I grew up when I was, so I grew up riding horses ever since I was in diapers. There are pictures of me with my brothers. And then when I was like four or five or six, they would drop me off. I'd hurt sheep all day with my brothers. And so I was on the horse. So I remember when I was, I remember when I was younger, I was so terrified when the horse would go down the hill that I would get off and walk down the hill. But I loved horses. But that was a fear of mine. And it wasn't until, again, purpose, it wasn't until, like, growing up more, like, being Native and not being around any Natives, and then hearing about, reading a book about the suicide races, I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. So I started, like, hyping myself up and becoming brave. And Can you explain what the OMAC stampede and the suicide races? Because yeah. I think a lot of people don't know. And I grew up in that area, so I went to the stampede every year. I saw the suicide race every year. It was, it was very important yeah, to so go to that. It right? was basically like a rite of passage, mm -hmm. and they race. So they race. I think it's like a total of like three miles. I could be wrong. We can I think you're, yeah, right. But anyway, so it's a quarter mile from the top. So right. you start on top, and you run toward the edge. It's a and it's sprint. Like a, yeah, and it's a straight, steep slide all the way down. 
Then it's straight down and then into the and river. Into the river. Mm-hmm. And then you have to cross the river. Swim, usually. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. you get to the other side, and then you race back to the fairgrounds and rodeo stands. It's there's, a really steep hill. Yeah, and, there's, there, and, and these people, like, they run down. Like, yeah, they're like, flying off. Flying off. And I used to watch it all the time, like, yeah, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. And then I grew up, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to do that no more. <laughs> I could totally do it. I still would love to do it, but I'm like, no. I appreciate my bat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I made it this far, knock on wood, with no broken legs or arms or anything. But say more <clears throat> about the importance in terms of rite of passage, because it can be a little controversial, especially people who haven't grown up around it or mm-hmm. don't understand sort of the native lens. Would you just explain the importance of rite of passage and what that means culturally? Each individual culture, you have the Aboriginals from Australia. They mm-hmm. have their own... Like, the walkabout and stuff like that right Mm -hmm. so they have their own you know coming of age rite of passage and a lot of it is and to prove your bravery Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily meaning you're going to go to war with somebody but you're going to do this instead of like going to war with somebody else or you're going to become you know you're going from adolescent boyhood into manhood to Mm -hmm. prove who you are as a warrior and that's a lot of what it is. It's more cultural more than anything. Yes, it is very controversial. In some circles. I mean, yeah, yeah I think it's, yeah, that's a whole other conversation and rabble that I don't <laughs> even think is worth going down. Yeah. But but that goes you, back to the functionality of the horse, you know, exactly. especially in culture. Yeah. Because in certain simulations, not only in the rite of passage, but in livelihood back, way back when, through indigenous cultures throughout the U.S., or even North America, I guess, you would have to do these things. Exactly. You know, if soldiers were chasing you, you'd have to go if you were being raided or opposing tribes trying to take women or horses. And horses went back and forth in the Plains Indians. So a lot of those things, even though this was a rite of passage, back then it was a purpose and a fundamental purpose of surviving. Back to Little Ty, oh, yes. you started oh, yeah. to get... So I said, I'm like, I'm going to do this. You're going to do it. And I hyped up, and I hyped up. <laughs> it's funny because this is where I learned about becoming the leader, going back to the wind blowing and what should I do. My horse, because I've been riding this horse, knew that I was scared to go downhill, so I would get off and we'd walk. So I'm like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And so I'd start running, and the horse would, you know, canter, and then we get to the edge, and it would stop, and it would start walking down. <laughs> and so I was like, well, hmm. So then I, we would canter, and then I would hop off, and then I would run down the hill with my horse following. And a few times, the horse was like, you know, like, you know, when you try to drag it somewhere. <laughs> right. And then after, like, two or three times, the horse started realizing, oh, is this what we're doing? So then it started, like, when as I got, hopped off and I'd run down the hill the horse would actually run or trot down the hill with me. And so then we started building from there, building from there. That's the concept I got from, oh, I have to be the leader. Mm-hmm. And what I do, my horse is imprinted or implying that the horse is saying, nope, because every single time we got to this point, you got off and walked, so therefore I'm going to walk. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. know any better until you start to say, okay, so I'm growing up a little bit and I want to do a little bit, I, I want to trot down, I want to canter down. And so after that, I started practicing, and we would, the horse would start running downhill. And that uh, is, that's exciting. I, cause I grew up in that area where that race happened, and I don't think I did it to the extent that you did it, but there was a couple, like, smallish hills where behind the property where my grandparents lived, and 
Oh, yeah. There was some definite, like, mm-hmm. practicing, like, in, in my mind, because it was so cool. It was such yeah. an amazing mm-hmm. thing to see those guys. And as a kid, you just, you just want to mold yourself to... You just want to be those those heroic people that you see. Definitely. And, I, and so I grew up in southern Utah. My dad worked for the mining industry, so we traveled a lot. But I was always back at the Four Corners, Monument Valley, uh, my, my grandma's place. And a lot of it is canyonlands and mesas. And so we would ride the trail... And sometimes when it would wash out, then, or when it rain, parts of the trail would wash out. And so there's like a trail, and then it goes, like a two-foot drop. Mm-hmm. And then it would slowly start going back up to the next trail. I would, especially when I was in high school, I had Kayla. Kayla and I would go, and we would jump down two feet to the next drop, and we'd continue on. Wow. That's kind of the prime example of the leader. And how you ride. Your horse is going to mold to how you're riding. And the functionality. And you the functionality. had to get down the berm to get to the next trail, yeah. right? So, I mean, that was the intention anyway. Yeah. So, and so just did it. Yeah, and I remember this one time some Angora goats got loose and they were up in the mesa along the edge. And they had been missing for almost a month. So my uncle came up and asked me if I could get them back. So I'm like, okay, Kayla and I, we ran that poor Kayla was such a sport we ran and the moment those goats saw us they headed to the edge and they're and I was like no you're not getting away from me and we went from drop to drop to drop to drop and she was right along with me looking back at it now I'm stupid and crazy because I totally broke the horse's leg but but when you're young and dumb you don't know any better you're just kind of like yeah this is fun and thank God I didn't. So that's. But it kind speaks of... to the partnership that you created. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And she the would... horse would do that for you. And she would go anywhere and everywhere I asked her mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I think that we should all strive to be that for our horse and have that partnership. Mm-hmm. And that's what indigenous partnership is. At least how I grew up and how it was taught to me was it was a relationship and it was a connectivity. You're basically one with your horse. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times, intuitive. You didn't necessarily have to think it to turn. Mm. That horse is automatically going with you or coming up underneath you. <laughs> if you're about ready to fall, that horse is going to collect underneath you. Mm. A lot of people say they train your horse to always be up underneath you. <clears throat> but when you're connected with your horse, mm-hmm. your horse is always going to want to be underneath you too. Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah, because that's mm. what feels the best yeah. to the horse too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can see where getting to that is so foreign to so many people Mm because like we didn't grow up with the clan structure Mm -hmm. tribal system. We didn't have just a lot of those systems that you talk about, the colonial powers, the imperial, whatever you want to call it. That was not in any of that. It's not really in like the capitalism structure Mm -hmm. that's here now. It's all like individualism. It's go it alone. It's overpower the horse. It's make them do what you want. Like self-forgiveness is like, I mean, for me, I was just like, what? Like, what is that's why I had to look it up. Do you have any advice? <laughs> like, how do you? Or uh, the other point was the the rites of passage. That's really missing. And we see that because we have three teenagers. I was pretty crazy when I was 16, around that age. Mm-hmm. And looking back, it was almost like I was just looking for that. So I was creating my own stuff, doing really dumb crazy stuff that I'm lucky didn't end worse than it did. But had I had maybe a 
something to do to prove myself to a ritual because mm-hmm. you see a lot of kids are just looking for that and they'll create something but it's usually pretty disjointed and doesn't yeah. have the support of the elders or the parents yeah. and it gets people into trouble so it's just like very unhealthy and toxic then so yeah and for me it was going back to my grandparents's mm-hmm. on the reservation and it was staying there and herding sheep and working cows and mm-hmm. and then kind of our rite of passage as a youth is we would round up horses mm-hmm. so it's kind of our downtime we would go through and round up wild horses and put them in the corral and saddle them up and mm-hmm. away we went it's purpose you can have that then have an idea of where you're going mm-hmm. yeah purpose the connectivity piece is knowing where you belong in a structure in a relationship structure the clan system mm-hmm. i mean in a family, mm. in an organization, in a relationship with your horse, in a relationship with your friend, like knowing where you belong mm-hmm. and then being able to just do that. Yeah. That's what we're all trying to get to. Mm-hmm. That's purpose, right? Yeah. If I know where I belong, then I know what my purpose yeah. is. The great way I can I can explain that too is through endurance. There are a lot of, with all due respect, there are a lot of older ladies that do it. I sit there, like, especially if you're going 50 miles and you're riding with somebody, you hear a lot of stories. A lot of them talk about their love for horses and how they, some of them didn't even grow up. They, they just loved horses, but they were never around horses. And the moment they were old enough to buy their own horse and to do their own thing with horses, they, they did it. Some of them grew up with horses and that was their thing. That was their love and that, ever since they were little girls. And purpose. I mean, that's what fed them. That's what fueled them. And so when you can do that, then you truly are living your best life. Mm-hmm. For me, it was the same thing with growing up on the reservation. And I wanted to be around horses. That's all I wanted. Mm-hmm. So, and then when I lived on the, off the reservation my, with my parents, we worked, my dad worked in the mine industry. So when one mine closed down, we went to the next mine. And a lot of times they were in cities. And so we lived in, you know, a house with a close yard that we couldn't have livestock or animals. And the moment... I was old enough to do that. I went out and did it myself mm-hmm. and I got my horse and I started living what my purpose was, what I knew was my purpose. Mm. Yes. More of that, please. Yeah. We, we talked a little bit about the program idea you had in mind. And when I lived in Hawaii, I knew a guy, he had started a big nonprofit called the Maui Hero Project. Mm-hmm. He based it off of Hawaiian mythology and they created basically like adventures. But mm-hmm. his whole thing was how do we recreate these rites of passage for native Hawaiians? Because they had also lost that yeah. through colonialization. It really worked. How do you recreate that system that's lost it just is harder to access and really hard to access yeah i mean horses are hard to access for a lot of people a lot of people that are into horses they have more higher level of means so how do you you have some ideas i just wonder if you talked about that last time i was out here basically touching back on it briefly though is how that came about for me was i'm going to kind of throw my people our people the indigenous people under the bus a little bit and if you look at horses and how they're being handled on the reservation now there's a huge disconnect in horsemanship in family when it comes to horses there is a need like people hold on to horses because they know it's a part of them they know it's in their dna Mm -hmm. but they don't know how to use it they don't know how to do anything with it they don't know how to care for them so you tend to have all these feral horses that are overgrazing and then you're not really doing anything with them, so then they just create a big disaster or they starve. Or 
it's always been in, the, in my mind that we do something with the youth that helps bring some of that culture back in. Because you know, and you're down in your heart, that these horses are part of you. So how do we bring the youth in, and how do we use the horses to connect and then reestablish and hopefully respark that that cultural aspect of what they should be doing and then they give something for the horses to do and build from there i would love to try to figure out how to work with i know warm springs is just up the road here mm -hmm. having a handful of youth that come out say for the summer and <clears throat> we work horses and we start with halter breaking you know yearlings Hmm. and then building from there and then people who know a little bit more will start training horses kind of creating a program that one not only is and steals work ethic but also bring that horse back into their culture and what that means mm -hmm. because it wasn't too long ago that horses were my people's everything you look at chief joseph hmm. and what he did trying to escape to canada with hmm. women and children and old people yeah. That wasn't even that long ago. No. That, that happened. And so we have lost a lot of it, unfortunately, to, for lack of better words, culturization. That's even a word. I made that word up too. <laughs> I know what you yeah. mean. So. <laughs> Civilized or colonization. Colonization, yes. So a lot of these things have died because survival takes in and then you just kind of, how do I survive? And things that were meant to nourish our souls were cut from us. Mm. Buffalo, the horses, with the Navajo, it's the Navajo Churro sheep, the first sheep in America, by way of the Spaniards. <laughs> I should say the first domesticated sheep in America by way of the Spaniards. And that was what we had. We acquired them through raiding and stuff. So is that like back 16 or even 1400s? How far back does that go? 14, yeah. 15, 1600s. Uh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All the way up into the 1800s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so horse, the buffalo, the sheep the salmon, mm -hmm. that were all part of us and who we are, that make us who we are, that adds into the community that we are a part of. <laughs> we're all severed. They had to try to make us into these little boxes, mm -hmm. which is why I always have, I always say too, I have a hard time with cookie cutter box training because not one person, not one horse is the same. And you can't just cookie cutter stamp things. Mm -hmm. But trying to figure out how to do this with the youth to bring back and to create even a positive influence in their lives, right. that, that accomplishment feeling that mm -hmm. they can take and then they can go and say, I want to go to college, I want to do this. And horses, especially taking care of them and working with them, have a lot of those check marks of, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to be responsible. What does all that look like? I'm going to pay my bills. I'm going to get up. Like in the Navajo culture, when they say, when I say these are my sheep, but these are my livestock, these are my cows, my grandma used to always tell me, they don't belong to you until you freeze for them in the wintertime, until you sweat for them in the summertime, until you are thirsty so they can drink. Mm -hmm. You feed them before you eat yourself. You don't sit down and eat at the dinner table if they're not fed yet. And it's that same philosophy as my sister. I don't know. I just don't think about it. I just get up and go. When you're working with horses and you can bring the, the youth into it, it creates that same check pattern, I guess, of, of accomplishments. Or you look at a task and say, okay, I need to do these things. 
Hmm. And you start executing it. And I think we can build a stronger society in general and help bring horses back to indigenous people in a way that they would be utilized to. It's a holistic way of looking at it. The horses need something. Hmm. No, that's just beautiful. It seems like there's this huge need in both populations, yeah. you know, the native and the Mustangs. Like, yeah. It's almost like this post-colonial wars it's just this wasteland now and mm-hmm. everybody's lost all the marrow was destroyed but they're still there though yeah they're still there so how do you <laughs> get up and start picking up the pieces and connecting them and putting them back together <laughs> the best way you can that's why we're talking about i would love to do that figure out how to do a program like that and then incorporate whether we do it here where you're closer to the reservation or we work with the warm springs and then we create a program and we ban them to my place in pal butte or just something yeah something like that wouldn't you go to your place you're surrounded by horses you have churro sheep at yeah. your place right yeah. and you're breeding and so we go into your house you have a loom in a room you have <laughs> navajo rugs yeah. that you're that your mom made I mean, and we it's, work it's cows beautiful. so if we need to work cows they can come they learn mm-hmm. animal husbandry and how to tend mm-hmm. things and what does it take and we work cows what are we giving them what vaccines are we giving them giving birth and just different things like that we can create an environment that they can mm-hmm. either pick up and go you know work at a different ranch or apply it to maybe somebody wants to be a vet mm-hmm. they just uh, don't know how to get there yeah so. those first steps are so mm-hmm. important for big dreams yeah we got some more talking to do. <laughs> Definitely. Maybe just to round that one out, we're interested too in, in those kind of programs. Mm-hmm. But this is white people not wanting to, the white savior is a thing where you come in like, oh, I want to help. I want to do this. Yeah. I want to do that. But that's not really appropriate. Maybe for anybody watching too, like that wanted to help. Do you mm-hmm. have any insight? How do you bridge action? How do you make yeah. it happen? And what can people do to help? I'm probably in the same boat as you too, because people will look at me like, you're an outsider, you're not from this tribe, mm. you should probably go back to your tribe. And, and, and so it's that same mentality okay. of, like you were saying, white savior. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've heard that in like activism circles. Yeah, like I just yeah. think that you, you, you can't listen to that. Because if something's a passion, that's, that's noise. And I don't listen to noise. Because I have my goals, I have what I'm going to do, and that's it. It's just about putting it out there, and I believe that if it's something I strongly want to do, and I know I'm called to do it, the right people are going to be there, ready to step in and ready to start putting itself together in a puzzle form to make this work. Because, I mean, you look at it, and this is why I hate when people, especially, we're bad for that as indigenous people, like the white savior and just kind of like not trusting. But I feel like there's a lot of, throughout even reservation, like trying to put them on reservations and stuff. There are a lot of people that were white that try to save native people and try to bring kids in. And, you know, there's stories about that all the time. Like, hmm the trail of tears and stuff there were white people that grabbed kids to try to save them and keep them from dying i wish people would just look at it as a humanity thing Mm. acknowledge that there is culture there Mm. respect that the culture is there but in the greater aspect trying to preserve humanity and those kids is culture you know wherever some like if you were to come in and say well we're going to do a ceremony you know and bring ceremonies back to the people i'm like then that might be a little like, mm. but you know, but trying to do something for humanity itself and adolescence. Maybe we do something too, where we bring some white kids yeah. and mm-hmm. um, they're all there. And so they learn to coexist with each other and work with each other. And the sky's the limit in these things. And there are a lot of, a lot of different check boxes that people are going to be unnerved about, but 
great things <laughs> happen when you start doing it. And when you start doing stuff, you're not always going to please anybody. Mm. That's where boundaries come in. And you just got to like know. Like I said, if I'm going to do something, I know what I'm going to do. And if something's noise, I just tune it out. I don't listen to the noise. Because mm. people are going to talk no matter what. Mm. So... I think it's just getting yourself around the right people. So maybe there's somebody on the Warm Springs Reservation that feels this passion too. We can get some of their elders, you know, to kind of bless it and do, right. kind of keep it closer to their traditional aspect of things through the Warm Springs. <laughs> because even then they're dealing with three hey. different federated, it's the confederated. Uh, confederated yeah. Yeah. tribes and the Warm Springs too. Huh. So, I mean, you're looking at different cultures for the most part too in that aspect. Yeah. So... I would just say culture is coming together to maintain a culture. Hmm. Well, and that goes back to what you were saying about collaboration and working with the horse, not Mm -hmm. training the horse. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're all just working together to create this thing. Mm -hmm. When you're working with your horse, it's a relationship. When you're talking about working with youth, it's a relationship. Mm -hmm. And from that, the potential can be infinite. Yeah, definitely. The concept is like... You can't control what other people are going to think and say. I mean, I've been trying to be like, that's not my business. Yeah. I'm just going to do what I feel called to do mm-hmm. and try to stay curious and listen and be learning all the time. Yeah. I think especially in sort of the, and I'm a fan of woke culture now that it's being used against itself. Like, yeah, and that's like mm-hmm. it kind of makes it so people don't want to help. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's like I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to be, yeah. you know, get in trouble yeah. for doing something wrong. And then it, then everybody just sits on their hands. Yeah, and that's why I said I want to be offended, right. so I know where the boundaries are. Yeah, thank you. I want someone to, you know, say, hey, you know what? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. But here's the other thing: is though, is what applies to you may not apply to her. What applies to me and how I perceive things may not apply to somebody, some other indigenous person. Mm-hmm. Like I say Indian all the time. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people like, well, correct, you know, a white person say, so Indian comes from the, like they really give you like the historical, like Columbus, Columbus India, like and all that India. Like, ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> but, so, you know, be offended. You that's know, how you learn. Or offend people, and that's mm-hmm. how you learn where the boundaries are. And all mm-hmm. you got to do is say, I'm sorry. Right, that's, that's where yeah, forgiveness. forgiveness. Oh, my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for example, they could say to me, like, oh, you're Navajo, but you learned horsemanship from a Canadian Indian who actually really learned horsemanship from the vaqueros <laughs> that came up. I feel like that's what we are as a melting pot, mm-hmm. is we're all different things. But the beautiful thing about that is, is we take each other's culture. We're respectful. You're not going to go... Oh, I got these eagle feathers and I get up and I pray and I'm like the Indians and you know, you're not gonna do that. And so that's like <laughs> that's a problem. That that may be a problem. <laughs> but you know, you're you're respectful in that aspect of you learn different things and you learn how I do things and why I do it. And now you learn mm-hmm. the cultural aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And you can take that home and apply it to your horse. You're not gonna go around and say, Oh yeah, I'm training horses the Indian way mm. for a hundred bucks. You know, right. you know, and that's where it gets yeah. sticky, and that's where a lot of us indigenous people have a problem with it, exploiting it, basically. Right. So, but you going in and saying, I want to help, you're going to offend people because they're going to get offended. You mm-hmm. can't, you can't, there's no if, ands, buts, but I'm mm-hmm. going to be, I'm probably going to offend people. <laughs> but you keep going according to what you believe that you can help, 
and the right people are going to come in there. And and those people, especially Warm Springs people that feel a need and feel called to this, but they don't know how to start it, collaborate it, mm-hmm. will be drawn, and they will be the ones. My, my dad used to always tell me, you stand clean on your own two feet and let other people around you fight your battles. As long as you keep going forward like an arrow, straight, and doing the things with integrity, people around you will fight your battles. When people say stuff like this, Oh, I heard this, I heard that. People around will fight the battle for you. So you're called to do this and keep moving forward. And the people around you will protect you. And that's what it comes with. Keep going toward what you want to do. And the right people will form. And the naysayers, they'll fight the naysayers. Because there's always going to be naysayers no matter what. That's just how life goes with, when you get a bunch of people together. So let's, let's get it figured out. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Very good. I love that. When we get together, we start talking about things. And- mm-hmm. You're blowing my mind. You this are. Is cool. yeah. So circling back <laughs> to the Navajo Nation, mm-hmm. I found this woman. Her name is Kelsey John. She's an enrolled member of the Navajo Nation. And she's also a professor at Arizona State. She studies equine human relationships with a focus on how these relationships can be used to indigenize education and research. Indigenize? Mm-hmm. That's a new word. I like yeah. that. Yeah, pretty good one, right? That might even be, if she has established like a workbook, that might be a really good workbook. For our program? For our program. There you go. We could probably reach out to her and She's, I'd love to see her in some of her classes and her... There's a couple things mm-hmm. on YouTube. Then I did a deep dive, kind of Googled her and found some of her. She had written some articles. Okay, and perfect. And she's young. Her name's Kelsey John. Kelsey John. J-O-H-N? J, yep. Okay. J-O-H-N. And she says that horses were her first friends and teachers and that the Navajo worldview is that horses are healers and that horses heal by connecting us to land, to language, to tradition and culture and to each other. And this seems like it's going right to the heart of what you're talking exactly. about in this program for youth. I think you already spoke to this, but can you speak a little bit more about the specific ways that horses connect you personally to the land and Mm -hmm. to your culture? Yeah, so going back about like where horses come from for me, that was kind of the essence of my upbringing too. There were times where my uncle would tell me, go sit in the corral and just watch them. I would sit there for hours and Mm -hmm. just watch them. And you could see it's almost like a dance, like a connectivity or a conversation through body language. And that's where the intuition comes in. When you start to really plug in and just sit and watch them, you learn which horse is a lot more forceful. You learn which horse is a lot more submissive. So then you take those horses that are a lot more submissive or like are needing validation from someone else or from another animal or another horse to tell them where to be, how to be and everything like that. That's going to tell you that that horse is very insecure. And if you're insecure and you guys are both together, you guys are not going to go anywhere. You're going to be sitting there going, after you, no, I insist after you, no, I insist after you. (laughs) You know, and so you have to approach it. You have to have it in yourself to be that one's leader and to step forward on that. Just really quick. I just want to, I want you to say more about that. But I have this quote from Kelsey John. Mm -hmm. She called her work with her Navajo Mustang a dance of intuition, relation, intention, and respect without force. Exactly. And so, yeah, and when you look at one that is more forceful and more, you know, all it has to do is, it's so when you throw hay in there, just an example, I think we, uh, all of us as horse people, 
see this. You throw hay in there, the bossy one gets up there, and all it does is goes, his ears pin back and goes, mm-hmm. like that, and then the horse is like, oh, gotta go. <laughs> Some simple as that. So if you can do body language and a connectivity with that simple, like, get out of here, this is mine. If you have that connectivity and that intuition with your horse and you're riding them, imagine the slightest movement of what you do to move them out and do stuff, to slide stop. You know, and so that's kind of what my uncle told me. He's like, go out there and just sit with them. Learn them. Hmm. Understand them. Listen to what they're saying to each other. It's almost like sitting there watching a talk show or a podcast. (laughs) And and they're talking about a few things, but they're talking about it in body language. And so when you start to really truly understand, listen, it's like a dance and you start to understand them. And, And the more you do that, you start to know like conversation, when to pick up and chime in or when to listen or, you know, how to take it this way or how to take it that way. Or, um, so that's always been what horsemanship has been for me growing up too. So I'm really interested in hearing what she has to say. We we all do. We'll work on that because I agree. That'd be a great starting point. How can people find you? And you're pretty active on social media and stuff or I don't know if you guys have a website. So I have my Facebook. It's a T Y Ty Yazi Y A Z Z I E. Okay. On Facebook. And then I have Instagram. It's I believe T Y dot Y 81. Okay. I'll link those in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And if those of you listening, go follow Ty because he posts, really beautiful things always inspirational a lot of times really funny spiritual just beautiful imagery from the ranch Mm -hmm. amazing wisdom from your elders you're always quoting stuff from your dad your mom grandma so it's just i love following you because i always smile whether it's something that's actually really sad that you post or something really beautiful or something really funny yeah it's always really good stuff so follow ty because it's just good stuff. <laughs> well, mm-hmm. thank you. Yes, yeah. So to yeah. round us out. The top three things. qualities that you think horses can teach humanity. Oh, yeah. The top three things you think horses can teach us humans. Number one thing is we don't know everything. Wow. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> you think you do, but you have no idea. That's a really good one. <laughs> Number two, I would say... Humility. Hmm. And the last one, grace. Um, Okay. If you're doing it right. If you're doing it right, one is you don't know everything. They will always put you in your place. Two, humility. And the last one, grace. And when you do all three of those things, you can enter into your horse's presence. And you'll be open, ready to receive. I feel like a lot of times we walk into our horse's presence with these expectations, mm. never allowing ourselves to receive what they have to say about us. So when you understand that you're, you're not God's gift to anything, when you have humility, you'll realize that. And when you know that you're not God's gift to everything, especially your horse, then you understand and you ask for grace so that you can receive whatever the horse is asking whatever the horse has to tell you. Because nine times out of ten, especially going back to what indigenous horsemanship means, those horses were the ones that saw the soldiers and heard the soldiers way before we heard them. Mm -hmm. So if you're not in tune and they were telling you, hey, there's 
their ears are saying mm. over there and you don't look to see what they're looking at because you know everything you've already lost so yeah those three Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, this is really yeah. cool. Thank you, Ty. That's powerful stuff. Well, thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah. Well, first of many, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, yeah. We'll, it's always fun. We're going to just we'll, Whether it's podcasts and microphones or just yeah. riding horses or lunch or dinner or whatever, yeah. we, we, yeah, we sit and talk forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no shortage of things to explore. Exactly. Right. Hmm. All right. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you, Ty. Really appreciate You're you. Welcome. Okay. Yeah. All right.